Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I'm really excited to talk with my friend, Sandro Oliveri. Sandro is the co-founder and CEO of Project Founded. He's also got a lot of other stuff going on too, he's gonna talk about too, but Project Founded in particular, I wanna bring attention to all of you because it is pertinent to the educators and ed tech entrepreneurs listening, is it is a community of ed tech entrepreneurs dedicated to ensuring that our industry of ed tech stays focused on equitable learning outcomes, which is so important, and equitable learning outcomes for everyone. So welcome, Sandro. We're really excited to have you on the show. And I know you have a lot on your mind. You are a very passionate person. And I know we're going to get into a lot of fun things. <laughs> Every time I talk to Sandro, as a side note, I walk away incredibly inspired. I only met you about a year ago through our good friend, Raina. And I walked away from that conversation really rethinking the entire ed tech landscape. And you did that. So I, I know you will do the same for these listeners not to not to put too much pressure on you but welcome Sandro is there anything that you'd like to tell the listeners about yourself I intentionally kept your bio brief because you yeah. have a lot of experience that I'd love you to talk about yes thank you I'm so excited to be here um ditto on how I felt after my conversation with you Alana um I just felt like I walked away. You know how you feel like when you find one of your people? Like it just felt so invigorating. I knew that uh, I wanted to not just follow the work that you were doing, but then do it with you, right? And so I'm excited to be doing this podcast with you. As far as background for me, you know, I'm not one to ever have made like a five-year plan that is just not me. My path has been so crooked in the way that I got here. Um, but I tend to just follow the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and early in my career, I was really passionate about uh, new product innovation and how technology is driving new product innovation, but it wasn't really focused on the sector until I found uh, education. And then once I found education technology as a thing to focus on, I started realizing that I was the, the last person in my entire family to get into education. Both my parents are educators, my brother's in education, all four of my grandparents, my extended family. I, I come from a long line of educators. And I just don't never, I don't know why I never sought it out when I was younger, uh, but I'm extremely happy that I find myself uh, working in the education space because it feels so natural. My wife is in education. You know, our dinner table has always been around conversations around education. So I'm happy to be here. Um, I got in by... Uh, designing an ed tech accelerator program for the AT&T Foundation from seven years ago. And I've been fortunate enough to be running that program for them for the last seven years. It's called uh, the AT&T Aspire Ed Tech Accelerator. And I've just learned so much about 
um, what it takes to build uh, any edtech business, uh, really, and also what distinguishes uh, impactful and equitable edtech from a lot of other things. And, and more so, and what led me to start Project Found Ed is the hurdles that are in the way uh, to making sure that these businesses can get set up and, and into the hands of kids where they can be the most helpful. Great. And for all of you listening, we will put the links that Sandra is talking about. So you'll have links to Project Found Ed to learn more about it, how you can join that community. You'll have links to the AT Aspire Accelerator and whatnot too. So I believe it's going to be at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash nine. So that's backslash nine leoneconsultinggroup.com for all the show notes as well. So Throughout your career, I, it was really interesting to hear that you had this deep connection to education, but mm -hmm. you've also had, what I like about you is you have different lenses. So you were also a computer scientist, you got your MBA, you've been in the service industry, um, you even mm -hmm. said you were a comic strip artist, but <laughs> coming in somewhat new, even though you weren't green because you were surrounded by education and ed tech, mm -hmm. What were the things when you were first starting that accelerator program that were, what were the assumptions that you made around education and ed tech in particular? Because we have a lot of people listening to this podcast that might be new to education and maybe they're an education director or are sitting on the leadership committee that are just sure. coming in to make an impact, but they've done it in different industries like finance or whatnot. So they might be able to learn from you and say, gosh, you know, he was green. What are the assumptions he made and the mistakes he made? first yeah well lots of mistakes all the time um but i think that uh the primary thing to know about the way the ed tech industry works and something that i made an assumption that um you know in any tech industry right previous to my running the accelerator program i was in general consumer technology and there's all sorts of material out there is this like startup 101 this is how to do lean startup here's your business model canvas this is what you do this is how you achieve product market fit this is how pricing works this is how marketing works and i assumed okay well all that stuff will apply but just this is a new sector it's education different you know um kind of customers different kind of uh language to use uh it's but it, it'll work the same because it's another tech sector and and i think that's the primary assumption that I got, I got completely wrong, completely wrong. It works totally differently. This is a, such a unique sector and it makes it pretty challenging to operate within, especially if you make the assumptions that, you know, the stuff that you know about tech generally will work in education. It doesn't. Um, one of the primary things that I think we, we, we assume and we try and shoot for, for good reason, is this idea of product market fit. It is a dominant um, idea in tech markets today. It's like, well, you have to sort of test and iterate and test and iterate and do your user research and make sure you're, you're iterating your product to a point where you've achieved your product market fit and then you, you raise more money or you raise the, your growth capital and then off to the races, right? That's your hockey stick moment. Um, and that just doesn't happen in ed tech. And I think the primary reason it doesn't happen in ed tech is one simple fact. 
Uh, and that simple fact is that your buyer in EdTech is almost never your user, almost never. So you could iterate as much as you want with your users. You can iterate and make your product better and improve it and iterate and make your product better and improve it. But it's not, you're not iterating with the folks making the decision about how you, they're going to give you money. And so you can iterate and make a really great product, but it might mean nothing from a revenue generating perspective. And that um, takes special care, <laughs> it takes new processes, it takes new mindsets, it takes, certainly takes brand new methods of marketing um, to, to really make yourself successful in ed tech. So I think the assumptions that I think I got wrong, certainly at first, and I've come to know most people still make today is assuming that ed tech is another tech sector just with a in a different industry. Now, everything works differently. Yes, and if your ultimate user is your buyer and say that is the exception to the rule, your buyer are people that don't have a lot of disposable income. You're working in the field of education. And if they're going to put their out-of-pocket money into something, it's got to really make an impact in their day-to-day. -day. And I think that that's the ultimate test for your buyer is that most of the time they're educators with little or no disposable income. And so if you are the exception to your one rule, it's still a big hurdle, right? It's still a slog. And, you know, um, if... If your customers, if the folks that are giving you money ultimately are educators, then there's always going to be a push-pull there, right? Like, should we be selling things to educators directly to do their job? You know, who's, you know, should their employers really be providing the resources necessary for them to do their job? And there's always been that that push-pull, always, 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 right? Even before technology, it's always existed. Like, it's not any different today. Um, and I guess for me, like the way that I've led my, my career and the things that drive me in passion, like that I'm very passionate about is taking big sort of either pots of money or spheres of influence and then just kind of shifting them a little bit to have more impact. So it's more interesting to me to work on the problem where I, of, you know, how do I influence educational institutions, districts, states, to think differently about how to better support educators in the classroom by making it easier for them to make choices about the technology they should use in the classroom and making it easy for them to adopt it and implement it, right? That is much more interesting uh, to me than it is to say, to decide, to figure out, you know, a better method for, or make it easier for teachers to spend their own money on tech products. Yes. And it, that comment also made me think about the various silos in education. So one of the hard things as a marketer is sometimes your product, you're talking to multiple stakeholders in education. So you're talking to, there's lots of stakeholders in the ecosystem that should be working together for the ultimate outcome. But sometimes the system isn't set up so they actually do work together in the most collaborative way. So we've got parents, we've got teachers, mm -hmm. we've got educators supporting and throughout the system, we've got education administrators, principals, we've got school board members, we've all these people. And sometimes technology can exacerbate the silos rather than bring them together too. And I don't have an answer for that. I just, what you said kind of sparked that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's an answer. And, you know, I, I make the same, 
arguments myself and I list all the same people that you just listed. And I always have to remind myself and sort of kick myself in the pants and say, don't forget students. Don't forget the learners. Like they are such a critical component of this entire thing, because if we've learned anything over the last year and a half to two years, if the kids don't like it, like we're, <laughs> we're up the Creek, right? It doesn't matter you know, if it's based on extremely rigorous research and it's like the best way to teach the, this particular concept, if the kid that it's in front of it at that moment is not engaged in it, it's game over. It's game over. And so we really got to make sure that we center all of our discussions in education technology around, you know, um, at least one of the components we consider has to be engagement. Yes. So important with the students too, and really making sure that it's just not another buzzword in terms of values and ed tech organizations is that we're, you know, student centered schools say that a lot too, but what does that truly mean? Um, I'd like to dive into something that's a, a pretty complex topic, but with the pandemic, we've all of a sudden had this big ed tech boom. Ed tech is now new, this new shiny object industry that a lot of investors are flocking to um, and they're flocking to it in different, sometimes not so great ways at times too. But I'd like to talk about what the impact of all this means to our industry. And when this all shakes out of investors saying, wow, there's this whole industry that's something that wasn't on my radar and now is more relevant to me and there's a lot of growth in it, who is actually getting left behind in all of this. I'd love for you to just talk about the trends you've been seeing. And more importantly, if you could just estimate what do you think the impacts will be on the industry? And that's a big question. So if you want to pause. <laughs> no, no pausing. <laughs> I think by talking. <laughs> um, so it is a big question, but it's one that I think about a ton a ton. Um, and I think that as I started thinking about it, it's really thinking through this um, is what led me to start Project Founded, right? Because at the beginning of the pandemic, having worked with early stage ed tech entrepreneurs for so long, I felt in my gut a really bad feeling, not just about, hey, we're going to lock down. I'm going to have to educate my kids from home and become an educator and a parent and and all these things not just that i felt in my gut that this was not going to be a good thing for ed tech generally uh, i knew even then that the dominant narrative out there was going to be this is it it's go time this is what we've been investing in this is what we've been saying all along technology can be the answer to uh, our problems in education. We are going to lock down, but it's going to be okay because we can do this at a distance. We know how to do this. It'll be more personalized. It'll be better, et cetera. And that was going to be the dominant narrative out there. And it is, it is still the dominant narrative out there about how this is ed tech's golden age and off to the races, so many dollars invested. Uh, the reality though, is that so many ed tech companies that were based on in-classroom interactions, dealing with teachers directly, um, et cetera, have either already just decided to close their doors or are struggling so hard right now to continue to raise money, have had to pivot to direct-to-consumer models, et cetera. It is, it is kind of a war zone out there for early-stage ed tech. And so why is that? What's happening? What I've come to realize when I think about this is that, you know, we've, we've been working in this industry for, for so long and we used to, we used to blame investors 
um, for a lot of the ills. Like, well, they're not investing in the right things. The things that they're investing in are not right. You know, they're not the impactful things. They say they're impact investors, but where's the impact? Um, and I've come to realize something super important. Investors are a blunt tool, right? They do one thing, whether they're impact investors or VC or private capital, doesn't matter. Their job is to take some money and make it into more money. And so they've chosen to invest in ed tech, which is great. We need some private capital in this industry. No tech industry works without it. We're happy it's here. We probably need more. Now, they're doing a great job of their job. You know, they're raising funds, returning their funds with even with profit, and um, they're doing a good job of it. The problem lies in the things that they are feeling like they have to invest in because it's the only place for them to make money. And those things tend to be things that are direct to consumer. So uh, education technology that goes directly to parents. And these are great products that I use with my own kids, right? Like OutSchool or um, your Prodigies or uh, I don't know, Masterclass. These things are direct to consumer, right? And those are the things getting a lot of investment. Coursera, lots of investment. Now, uh, that's where they feel like they can make their money. What is being left by the wayside are technology tools that are designed to be sold and implemented in the classroom. In a K-12 classroom in higher ed, it doesn't matter. Um, they're being left behind. Why? Is it because it's impossible to build a business in this area? No, it's not impossible. Does it take longer to return the money that you've invested in that kind of business than it does with a direct-to-consumer business? Yes. And so the underlying problem is not that investors are malicious or silly or stupid or they're not making the right decisions. The problem is that they're making the right decisions to do their job. And we've created an environment in which selling to schools is so hard that nobody's interested in working in that area. And that is the problem. We're allowing investors in the ecosystem generally to dictate the kind of ed tech that will win in this market by making it so excruciatingly difficult to adopt ed tech at a school or a district or a state. And that's the real problem. Yeah. And I think this trend of direct to consumer it blowing up, like you said, it does make the path for the ed techs that are, are really looking for those hard to find buyers for the, the district mm -hmm. admins. And I can't even, the sales cycle is long, all of these things that they're already up mm -hmm. against. And now they're also competing with these Goliaths with tons of funding too. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so hard. I'm wondering if you could talk to, you work alongside a lot of ed tech founders that are still going to the B2B route, right? The direct to district mm -hmm. route. What is the advice you give them to navigate this really challenging road, knowing that they're not gonna be flooded with a ton of investment in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, the only way to do it is to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just go and have as many discussions as early as possible with, passionate educators that you can get to believe in your vision and build with you. 
right? Um, there's a lot of co-creation that needs to happen in early stage ed tech to make sure that your product is hitting the direct needs of the educators in the classrooms that you hope to implement in. And so it's all, my advice is always to never assume or never make build a business plan based on, um, you know, with an assumption that you will raise some money. Never make that assumption. You can't. You will, but don't make that assumption, right? Um, when you're building a business like this, it's so important to figure out how to get to uh, an MVP of your product um, or V1 of your product. Get it into the hands of teachers as early as possible. You get feedback, testimonials, whatever you can get, and sort of build on that success to start building your revenue as early as possible. Um, revenue, ultimately, is the only thing that will get you investment. Well, not the only thing because we've seen lots of people with no revenue raise some money over the last couple of years. But um, I think those are edge cases. You know, folks like ex-Blackboard CEOs that decide to launch a new startup called Class for Zoom and they're already raising $30, $40 million on day one. That's an exception. That's not the way the industry works generally. The only way to raise money in this industry is to make sure that you can show some sort of revenue, some sort of traction, right? And so uh, it's unfortunately slow. Um, and so you have to start as early as possible uh, to start building that revenue pipeline. And, and that's really the only way to do it. And once that revenue comes, you'll be able to raise money to, to grow and scale out bigger. Yeah, and the optimist in me feels like sometimes when you don't have a lot of VC funding, you don't have a lot of different people on the board telling you what to do and making you super revenue focused when you mm -hmm. might not be ready, that can also be a gift too. Mm -hmm. So also really looking at ed tech startups that, that aren't that shiny object to investors right now and treat that as a gift because they can make you grow faster than you're ready to. And they can also, I've seen sometimes startups lose their way because they get so focused on acquisition and growth. And then the product mm -hmm. is not designed as they intended for impact. So right. honing, on honing on the growth in terms of making your product as effective as possible. And then I think everything else will come. But sometimes this can be a gift. It's a very hard journey, though. It's a hard journey for in in my field and marketing of reaching them too, getting districts to raise their hand and say, yes, I want to be part of a pilot in the middle of a pandemic is almost virtually impossible. They are like, no, we want to work with some tried and true solutions that have been around forever and we want to implement them now. So I would say it's a long journey. Do everything that Sandra was talking about. Surround yourself with people like him in industries like Project Founded Um and be as educator-centered as possible. So I've talked a lot about this podcast on how do you truly insert educator voices and help them co-create the product with you. Do you want to add yeah. anything to that, Sandro? I would. You know, and it's a big, hairy question, and I try to distill the, the, the answer down as much as I could. But I think one of the outcomes that we're talking about um, with investors sort of driving the narrative and deciding who the winners in the space are is that what the effect is ultimately is that we're taking educators out of the driver's seat of deciding what gets implemented in their classroom. And I think that that's the biggest mistake we could possibly make in education, right? If we let market forces decide what wins in this market, then we are taking educator voice out of it entirely. We need to make it easier for educators to 
not just discover and implement and find, but use the products in the classroom that they feel are going to be right for their kids. And so one of the things that I like to talk about is, you know, the importance of efficacy, understanding the efficacy of uh, the edtech products that we put in the classroom. Uh, but I think one of the things that I, I would be remiss to not talk about is the fact that when we do this, when we let market forces and investors generally drive the discussion around what edtech wins in this market, what we are doing is just removing educators from the discussion. We're removing educator voice from deciding what gets to be implemented in the classroom. Because the choice of technology that's there at the district gets pushed down from the district level or um, is sold or implemented. Folks just lean on things that they know or you know, they know that the district next door bought. Um, what we're doing is telling teachers you're not in the driver's seat of what gets done in your classroom. You're not, you know, we're taking agency away from educators deciding what gets done in their classroom. And I think that's a giant, giant mistake. Um, we do a lot of, we tell ed tech all the time as a market, we say the onus is on you to prove the efficacy of your product to beyond a shadow of a doubt. You need to tell us that your intervention does this, 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 and this, which is something that we have never done before, ever for any curriculum or tool that gets put in the classroom, it is a brand new and much higher bar that we're putting education technology tools, um, we're, we're making them clear. All good reasons. And I think it has this unintended effect of continuing to make it difficult for ed tech companies to get into classrooms and start having the intended impacts. And so I think there's a lot of things that we need to evaluate. One is, how easy is it for ed tech to be implemented and adopted in schools at the educator level? And two is, how can we decide what the right level of efficacy and impact measures we want? Are we, depending on the situation, are we okay with just saying, maybe if I know that there's a teacher out there in a district that looks a lot like mine and classroom that looks a lot like mine, they've used it and they say it's good, maybe that's enough. Maybe I don't need a full randomized control trial to tell me, you know, X, Y, and Z gains are going to be made uh, here. Um, and so just adding, <laughs> adding some of my, my pet projects to, to the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think evaluation and really honing in on that impact is something so important that sometimes gets skipped for a lot of reasons. We, in our previous episode, just talked to Jason Altman-Torres, and he's an evaluator within the K-12 industry, and I partner with him on a lot of projects. And he has provided lots of frameworks for startups like you to begin to figure out, if I'm planning strategically for the year, how do I map that to impact metrics as well? So check that out. It's at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash eight. It's with Jason Altman-Torres. And I, I mean, there's so many themes that come up in these podcasts, but one of them is how do we make sure that we're as impact driven as possible? But at the same time, you're in the midst of a pandemic with the last time I talked to you, we were right in the middle of the pandemic and you said, gosh, you know, I'm really worried, Alana, because a lot of the startups I have and the research I've done show that there's only a six month runway for a lot of these ed tech companies. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that it's probably going to squash innovation in ed tech. I think that's still true, um, especially, and, and that was when I did that work, that was going into the summer, that was going into the summer, right? Folks had a six month runway. And so, you know, a few months of no sales, right? 
um, at a time when investment had dried up in ed tech uh, right before it got kickstarted again. And so I was really worried about where we would where we were headed. And honestly, like I'm glad that there's a lot more new investment. I'm extremely dismayed at the places where it's going, but it makes a ton of sense, right? Um, you know, we need more investors in ed tech be thinking critically about what their investment means, right? Today, the investors will tell you um, that the ed tech ecosystem is extremely competitive. They want to know how you stack up against your competitors, right? How How is it that you're going to win in this market? When the reality is that, like, it is that all it takes to win is investment. That's it. You know, investors, foundations, supporters of the ed tech ecosystem generally, they are you know, king and queen makers out there. Like if you get that investment, you're going to have a real decent shot at winning. Right. And so you got to be able to tell a good story. Um, for early stage entrepreneurs that come to me and say, Hey, investors are telling me I need to figure out how to high stack up against competitors and say, yes, have that slide on the ready, but operationally don't worry about it. Right. Like we are in such early just stages of ed tech adoption. Um, still like we are still in the, replacing textbooks and moving furniture stage of ed tech, it's going to be a long time before you're going to butt up against a ton of competition in the market for your particular product, right? I would be, I don't know, I've never seen an administrator sort of have a list is like, well, these are all of the middle school math products that I have to choose from. And now I have to have a meaningful sort of analysis on which one I'm going to buy. It doesn't tend to happen, right? For lots of good and bad reasons. One is there's not a ton of middle school math products that you know, fulfill their requirements as it is. And two is they typically don't have enough tools to discover the ed tech that's out there. So they tend to just go with what they know. And so they're going to go with high ready, or they're going to go with, you know, whatever their amplify sales uh, representative has for them. They're going to know with, with go with what they know. And that's what we're trying to work against, right? We're going to try and create new channels for discoverability for impactful ed tech and keep educators in the driver's seat of, of discovering that and tech because we think that's the most impactful thing we could possibly be doing. If we continue to make it easy for incumbents to win, then, you know, we're going to hand the keys over straight from, you know, the McGraw Hills and the Houghton Mifflin straight to the Googles and the Cahoots. And I, I don't know, I don't think there needs to only be two or three winners in education, right? I think, um, I think it's good. It's, it's a big industry and there's lots of room for lots of winners. Mm -hmm. And reaching the decision makers is always tough in this B2B model. And my approach has always been working along, alongside brands to create a groundswell, to create a grassroots movement, to work alongside educators and get that brand awareness and engagement and trust built up with the people that would be the actual users more often than not with the educators. So we do that with social media, with community building and whatnot, but that's not enough. It needs to be in concert with all of the other things you've got going on. So you need to have a, a sales strategy. You need to have some networking. You need to have an influencer strategy. You need to have some paid marketing. You need to do all of these things in concert, but it is also very hard when you're a startup. But I can tell you that even with the cahoots and the, and the big ed tech brands, I see a huge opportunity to use social media in a leveled playing field way, minus the paid ads scenario. I yeah. very rarely look at ed tech companies and go, wow, their social is on point or their community. And there are some great communities, but there's always opportunities to be out and differentiate your product that way. 
But do you want to talk a little bit about like you are an ed tech company? I need to talk to the decision makers. How do, how do I get beyond maybe going to Project Found Ed and networking and whatnot? What do you think that they should do? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, if you are the founder of an ed tech company and you're not part of the Found Ed community, come through, join. We have lots of resources available for you. Second of all, I think that you, I think the reason we've always gotten along is because I think you get this absolutely right. Um, education is an industry that runs on authenticity and trust. Um, you know, it's an industry that seeks to educate our youngest and our most vulnerable, right? And if educators better than anyone, I think can, can smell a rat, right? Can just sniff it out. They can sniff people out that are not authentically involved in the endeavor of educating our kids. And so, um, the way to do this best is to get your brand recognizable in an authentic way by educators, first and foremost, building communities of educators that, um, have seen your product or at least like what you're saying about the particular industry you're working in. If you are, if through building your product, you've discovered all sorts of great ways to talk about social emotional learning, build a community around that, um, be seen as an expert in your, in your niche or your area. Um, and that translates into so many other things. Um, like you were saying through so many different marketing channels that you can leverage to reach the right decision makers. But right now, you know, the only channel, the, the only channel that's available to, to ed tech entrepreneurs to make sales, or at least the way they see it, because they're following all of the tech playbooks is cold calling and cold emailing. And I'll tell you what, it might work one time out of 10,000, right? But it doesn't work very well. It's worse than direct mail, right? All the stuff that you get in the mail works better than sending out cold emails to, to ed tech, to education leaders today. And so, you know, I think the best way to do it is build a community, build awareness of your brand, just like everything that Alon has been talking about for the last couple of years. I, I think that's, that's really the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to like what we, people would call in the business, like touchy feely things, but actually listening, actually caring. And it's, it's a long haul. People come to me and say, especially in the pandemic, they're like, I need something right now. I need acquisition, especially in the pandemic. They said, if I don't get these users, I'm, or if I don't get this revenue, I'm not sure about our future. And I say, well, mm -hmm. community and social media is not going to get you there in the short term. It will in the long term. And content mm -hmm. marketing, all of these things are long-term plays that you should have in concert with other things. Mm -hmm. So, I know we could talk about this in particular forever, but I'd like to talk about one trend that slightly disturbing, but also slightly optimistic at one point is the trend to individualize models in education. So we've seen with COVID people mm -hmm. moving towards micro schools, learning pods, mm -hmm. homeschooling is more relevant now. This screams inequity to me. I've seen it everywhere. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it and its effect on EdTech. There's, there's a couple of different ways to think about this, right? Um, and, and I'll come out and say it, that I think we need to never really close the door on experimenting on new methods for educating kids. And I, I think we are always doing ourselves a disservice if we close the door on those things. 
But again, I take a look at these trends and try to understand what the uh, what the real underlying problem is, why people feel like they need additional choice, different models, etc. And I think that it's a couple of things have been clear, cleared up at least, or accelerated. The, the clarity has been accelerated by the last couple of years. And let's let's start with uh, the, the the homeschooling numbers, right? Um, homeschooling has exploded over the last you know ever since it really got started as an endeavor um, and since it's been tracked and especially over the last couple of years. And we're at a point now where some between 10 and 12%, depending on the survey of families are homeschooling today, which is an extraordinary number. Uh, but what I think is more extraordinary is that 16.1% of black families are homeschooling today. That's one in six. Now, why, why? And it's similar, not as high, but similar numbers in Latin American communities, lower but rising numbers in Asian American communities. And they give two reasons, two primary reasons. Um, and this is really focused around COVID time. So it's, it's tainted a little bit by COVID reasons, but they're high numbers. So it, it deserves it, uh, some, some analysis. The, num the, the reasons that they're giving for shifting to homeschooling, for all three of those groups, Latinx, Black Americans, and uh, Asian Americans, are, and for some of them, it's number one, some of them, it's number two. Number one is the public school system. This was, so the response to COVID was essentially the last straw. I don't have any more trust in the system that doesn't teach my stories, doesn't take care of my kids, and sort of ignores, you know, the things that we say we want. And once we shifted to COVID, and I was at home, and I didn't have internet connection, or I didn't have a computer, or I didn't have this, and we're not well prepared, that was it. That was the last straw. I'm going to do what I have to do to homeschool my kid. And the number two reason in those three groups was there's a lack of virtual and blended learning opportunities for my kids. And so it's a combination of reasons. It's uh, a public education system that these particular subsets of people feel like just is not interested in teaching them well. And two, there's a lack of technology use to help us uh, cope with uh, supporting our kids through their educational journey. And so the, the, the problem isn't necessarily that micro schools are potentially bad or more choice is potentially bad or homeschooling is itself is bad. The problem is that parents need a good way to, parents need to feel good about the education that their kids are receiving and they're not feeling that way right now. They're just not. And they're telling us that one of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons is really hard to work on, but we should, which is you don't support me or tell my stories or teach my histories. The other one is we don't have enough flexibility in our education system today for me to just keep doing this. And, and that's one we can work on and we should and is uh, and can be helped by additional technology adoption that can make more flexible models happen, more asynchronous models, make it easier for parents to support their kids in their educational journey. And that's a very tech-based thing to, to work on. And so, you know, will micro schools work for some kids? Yeah. Will they work for every kid? I don't know. You know, <laughs> so when I talk about uh, innovative models for, for education, I think I say, yes, let's try them. But I want to make sure that we're trying them and also constantly looking for ways to build that back into a freely available and public system in education. And if we can't do that, then it isn't worth it.
I hope you all just pause and reflect those that are listening and, and, and know that education is an incredibly nuanced industry. And that answer <laughs> kind of represented that is that, sure, there's, there's always a good, there's always a bad, everything is incredibly complicated. And I think the hardest part is sometimes when people come into education there and outside of education, when you see with education reform, they're always looking for this silver bullet this one thing that's going to fix education. And you've seen it time and time again with like No Child Left Behind, Common Core. You see all these ed reforms come in with this silver bullet syndrome and there's nothing. But what you said is really important is that innovation should be supported, but with the goal to potentially integrate it in effective ways into the public school system. You know, at Edutopia, where I was at for eight years, we always looked at innovation but with the spotlight of can it be adapted into any single environment? We know environments across the spectrum are unique in itself, suburban, urban, charter, public, magnet, whatever it may be. But let's get to the core of what's truly working and let's try to figure out how we can integrate it into the system. And that's that's a, at its core. So thank you for that. I, I want to switch gears to the educators that are listening because we've talked a lot about ed tech, a lot of startups are probably taking a lot of notes right now, but let's talk to you educators. You're in the midst of all of this. Um, the educators right now are undoubtedly on the front lines. Burnout is at the highest I've ever seen it. I'm talking with educators every day in communities and online and social, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart what they're going through. And more often than not, their voices are not being heard. And with ed techs, they're kind of swarming around them, trying to get their attention, do this, do that. All of these trends with micro schools and individualized learning and, and so much more, they're caught up in it. So how do you suggest they navigate life as it is now? I know that you're not, you don't have all these answers just like me, but I'd love to hear your perspective to educators because you work with a lot of ed techs too, that are partnering with educators and you are, like you mentioned, your family are all educators too. So I don't have a great answer for this. Um, I wish I did, uh, but we're, we're getting to one soon. Uh, one of the things that, um, that uh, we're discovering over the last six months of our work is that um, the providers of education technology products, so the founders of ed tech companies, they could be, literally anyone, anywhere. And more often than not, their former educators, their parents, their students, um, they're folks that have lived experience, like everybody has, lived experience in education. They've seen a problem and they've created a solution to solve that problem. And so they have a goal of educating kids or learners, right? Teachers, educators generally, they have that same goal. So the providers of ed tech and educators, they have a shared goal of educating kids, but everything that stands between them, the way the market works, the way the sales process needs to work, the way, you know, the channels we have to reach out to each other and to discover new ed tech products or to discover educators that might use your product. They all sort of force this relationship of two entities, again, that have a shared goal to just get totally warped and resort to cold emails and sales tactics and continuous just contact, contact, contact and upsell, upsell, upsell 
to the point where this relationship, if one exists at all, is not one based on trust. And I think that that's something that we can and should work on to continue on that trend of keeping educators in the driver's seat of deciding what happens in their classroom, right? And and it starts with um, it starts with creating new channels of discoverability for educators in edtech, but also with just letting educators know that they continue to be the most powerful and influential force in education. Period. Full stop. That is true. I know you don't feel that way a lot of the time. Um, but when it comes to the ed tech market, there's nothing more influential than a teacher's voice. Uh, there never has been, uh, you know, and it always will be that way, right? It'll always be that way. And so when you think through all of these cold emails you get and they're terrible and annoying, and I'm not saying respond to them, don't. What I'm saying is when you meet an ed tech founder at a conference, for example, ask them their story get to know where they came from, why they created the product, you'll find so many interesting and just fascinating and impactful stories behind the people that are starting at tech companies. And I think that there's a lot of work for us to do, people like us at Project Foundette to do, to humanize ed tech founders, you know, sort of show them what's behind all the sales tactics and also just create new channels so that that relationship between educators and the providers of ed tech can be repaired or, or established at all um, in a much more uh, authentic way and one that's focused on on learner outcomes, right, rather than sales tactics and and pricing and things like that. And so, you know, uh, you have more power than you think. I, I would say, um, and and I, I would I would encourage you to just uh, try and connect personally with the founders of ed tech companies and try and get all the sales talk out of it. Yeah, great advice. And from somebody on the front lines on the social and community side and creating content for them, I'd love more educator pushback. I'd love to hear all of your opinions and thoughts. I'd love for you to DM and tweet and do whatever you can to say, hey, you know, this feature isn't quite working for me. It's very rare that I see that, unfortunately. Usually I see educators trying to make it work and say, how oh, I can't make this work, but they're not proactively. And I know you don't, you all don't have a ton of time to do this, but if something comes up and I know you're all not used to making your voice heard, People just dismiss and they don't take your opinion. Know that if you do that on social media, you are immediately heard and you should be and you will get elevated. So I'd love to, as you're an educator, you matter, your voice matters so, so much. And now we have platforms that surround all ed tech companies to allow you to give feedback 24 hours a day if you'd like to. So that's a really great point. Um, Sandro, unfortunately, I have to cut this now because we could talk for days and days about ed tech. And I am just so blessed that we got to talk again about this. And this is last time we talked was pandemic was in full swing. We're still into a, a huge state of uncertainty as we approach the new year. And as we look at January, this is when the episode will be launching in 2022. Do you have any parting thoughts to educators or ed tech entrepreneurs on just how to navigate the upcoming year, all of this uncertainty, all of these trends that we will not see go away anytime soon? 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, again, I wish I had a great answer for this. I think um, just like it's been for us, it's been a huge slog for us. But I really, um, I have such a tremendous respect and admiration for educators that um, any chance I get to just lift educators up, I will take because um, it's not a situation where I feel like I need to tell you something you don't already know. I know it's been a hard year and it will maybe continue to be a hard year. Hopefully not. Hopefully everything will get better next year. But I just want you to know how influential you all are, not just in the ed tech industry, but in educating our kids, right? I've got three little girls, seven, four, and seven months, and they're all going to go into this public education system and they're all going to be um, extremely positively affected by the educators that come in contact with. So yes, you have influence in the ed tech ecosystem. That's just a tool. That's a tool that you use to do one, I think, of the most important jobs in our entire society, which is educating our youth. And so uh, the most I can say is, um, is to tell you that from my perspective, like you have all my respect and all my love. Um, you guys do one of the most important jobs in our society, and I'm so grateful for it. So to the extent that that is helpful for you um, as we head into next year, into this year, uh, then, then there it is. It's all yours. Thank you. Well, one last question as we get going here is one, I'd love to just hear you have Project Found Ed. We'll put those resources in the show notes. Are there other ways that people can reach out to you and learn alongside you as 2022 and all the challenges that come up, whether they're an educator or an ed tech founder? Sure. Um, follow uh, myself personally and Project Found Ed on predominantly on LinkedIn and um, Twitter. Um, and so we'll make those links available. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about all of our events that are coming up in there. We don't have actually in probably February, we will um, debut our first um, resource that we will make available to educators. Don't have a lot to share yet, but obviously it, it, it's along those themes of, of making sure that educators have a, the ability to discover impactful ed tech for their, for their classrooms. So watch our social channels for more about, about that. Um, but that's the best way to follow along and sign up for our newsletter at projectfounded.org. Great. And sneaking in one last question. We always end our podcast around inspiration and hope. And I'd love to know when things are tough, which they are, you've got, you're juggling three kids, the nonprofit, being an investor, doing all of these things, the, the EdTech Accelerator, how, how do you get inspired? How do you keep going? Is it something you do, like an activity? Is it something that you're reading right now that people might want to put in their repertoire to help them in challenging times? How do you keep inspired? My goodness. I, I mean, I have a cheat code, right? <laughs> my, my cheat code is that I get to talk every day to extremely passionate entrepreneurs in the education space. And I can't tell you the amount of passion that I'm just confronted with on a daily basis. And it's passion for educating our kids. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. How can we do this better? How can we help kids achieve? How can we help minimize achievement gaps? How can we help create equitable learning outcomes for all our kids? What can we try? How can we innovate? And that for me is just, just the most, um, it really fills my cup, right? I love it. I love, it. I can't get enough of it. Um, 
And I think that's why I do what I do <laughs> because now I have a community of over 700 entrepreneurs that I'm supporting um, through the Project Founded community. And it, it really uh, makes me feel great. Other than that, um, you know, I, um, I, I read, I read a lot. I, I read a lot. Um, and for whatever reason, reading about education policy and ed tech policy really, really, uh, keeping me thinking about the big problems and understanding what the solutions might be, keep me going. As long as there's problems, I'm going to be motivated to find solutions. So it's a weird one, but that's what keeps me motivated. Well, you certainly picked the right industry for, for that. <laughs> and, and I feel very lucky that you've decided to come into ed tech because I was talking to my team prior to this interview and I just said, you know, no one's asking the questions you're asking that I've heard of. No one's thinking about it this way. So I thank you for doing that because we are all the better for it. Um, I need to wrap up, unfortunately. I want to say thank you so much, Sandro, for spending time with me and all of our listeners. I know that they are going to be beaming and looking at EdTech in a very different way, whether they're an educator or just in the throes of EdTech. And everyone, there are a lot of resources that we threw around. We will do our best to put everything in the show notes. So at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash nine, you'll find ways to follow Sandro and what he's doing at Project Found Ed there as well. And please, everyone, make sure to review us. We are starting up small. This is our ninth episode and every review matters. So please take a moment to just go to Apple and or any of where you listen to us on podcast and review us, even if it's just a little star review, everything helps. So we appreciate you taking the time, especially everyone in education where your time is limited. So we'll see everyone next time on all things marketing and education. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.